Father, I come to you and I just know that I need you now. I need your preaching unction. I desire to speak in the tone in which the text speaks with the clarity that it is in the, that's, that's in the text and with conviction of what the text says. You help, that, help us to apply this text uh, in the room in, in different ways and to what you desire and want for Omni. I know that this guy, that in coming in the demonstration of the Spirit, I'm trusting that he would do the convincing, that he would do the, do the persuading, that he would say to you individually that what he's saying is true. So I come asking you to fill me now with your Spirit and, and to lead me this evening. I ask it in your son's name. Amen. You uh, can worship her as long as you worship like us. You can worship her as long as you Worship like us. That is a statement that I stand here saying is wrong in statement and practice, but what most churches believe. They're not bold enough to say it, but you can come and worship here as long as you worship like us. For years, the church has been divided based off of worship. For years, the church has allowed ethnicity and culture and background and doctrine and philosophy to divide what Christ died to unite. We say often that all is welcome, but when you come to a worship service, it's, it's, it is Tailored for a certain kind, a certain ethnicity, a certain culture, for that ethnicity, for that culture to, 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 to be embraced. And yet in that, it makes other ethnicities and other cultures uncomfortable. And so the church stays one ethnicity, one culture, one generation. Because the truth is they're saying you can worship here as long as you worship like us. And for a church 
Maybe not to say that, but to practice that. They have no clue of what is the heart of God concerning worship. They have no clue on what is God's heart for worship. A priest a few weeks ago that God wanted to end the hostility and the division. How did God end the hostility and the division that, that stood between Jews and Gentiles? He, he destroyed it by sending his son, saying, no longer should you guys be two, but one, one family, one body. One baptism, worshiping one God the Father who is over all, in all, and through all. But I've died so you guys could get off of yourself and get on and focus on me. That worship is not about skin. It's about a savior. Worship is not about style. It's about a savior. And so many times, skin color and style has divided the church. Well, worship, even on a Sunday morning, in our case, Sunday evening, it is divided. Omni. We, by God's grace, are multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And if you're coming here to have your style of worship promoted, if you're coming here wanting your, wanting your ethnicity style of worship to be promoted, I stand here as the lead servant of Omni. You will be saddened. Because God's heart and God's vision is for all of us to worship one God together. Making it solely about Jesus and not about self. If if what God desires to do, if he's going to do it, we have to get over self and focus on the Savior. Worship. Again, all that we do is upon us, away from us, and upon us to him. So my hope and my desire, my prayer is that, man, if, if you're coming here and you are making this about you, that you will always be disappointed. But you're always here and you always will sing about the source of our salvation. And that would be Christ in Christ alone. Empowered by the Spirit. Where in our worship of a great Savior, of a great God, the Spirit of God, he would fill us. He would encourage us. That he would give us strength to do his will together. Worship. 
a few months ago, I, 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 I gave us a working definition. Of, I think it's good for us to define what, I, what I'm saying, what is worship. Because many of us, we tend to connect worship only to a song. Only to a style. But worshiping God is really all of life. Uh, 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 look how we have, look how we have, we have defined it in the past. Worship is communion with God. No, no, no. That's key. That's key. If you're going to worship God, you must commune with God. Don't look for people who have a body with God to pump you up. It's impossible for you to worship God without first coming through Christ and then abiding with God and then communion. That is fellowshipping, harmonizing. The word connotes intimacy. If we're going to worship God, we must Commune with him. Worship is communion with God in which his sons and daughters by grace center their minds, attention, and their hearts affection on him. Here it is, humbly responding to and glorifying God for his greatness his grace and his truth. <laughs> that had nothing to do with music. <laughs> nothing to do with a preacher. Nothing to do with a set day aside. Those, those things happen on a certain day. This definition of worship, you can, you can enjoy it on a Monday morning. Monday evening. Uh, midday Tuesday, uh, uh, late Wednesday night, you can always worship with God. Find time to commune, <laughs> enjoy him as he revealed his greatness and his, and his grace and his truth to you by his grace, centering your affections and your heart on him while you humbly respond and glorify his name. Can I say that, man, when I come here on Sunday evenings, this is always my second service? Because God and I, we get our worship on in the morning. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't wait to come here to worship, though it's a thing that we, that, that we ought to do, but he's also called us to worship on our own, to enjoy him on our own. God wants to reveal his greatness, his grace, and his truth to you all day long. So, Omni, worship is more about him and none about us. And the fact that we get the opportunity to worship God, to commune with God should humble us. Humble us. I'm sitting here listening to the words of the song being sang. And if the content doesn't move you, 
if the content of what of who he is and what he's done does not does not captivate your heart. When we say that that, that beautiful is his name, that should that should render that should be some kind of response in all of us. And I want because when it comes to to, to worship, there are many ways to respond. In the Bible, if you read your Bible, there's, there is the, uh, uh, when people bow their heads. Uh, there is the clapping of hands in the Bible. There is the dancing or, or, or dancing with music. There is kneeling. There is lying prostrate. There is, there is standing and there is the lifting of hands and there is the verbal affirmation. Amen. That it's okay to be verbal in worship service. It's okay to lift your hands in worship service. You're not doing it for me. You're doing it for him. It's, it's okay to kneel. It's okay to bow. It's okay to dance when appropriate. There are times where we allow people to express themselves and worship in appropriate ways so that what God, so that, so that still the main, the main hero or the main character is God. That no one here should ever try to worship to a degree where it's a distraction or it deters us from God. So there's, and so, and so first Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, uh, verse, uh, through 14 handles how we are to worship in order and in decency so that, no, so that no one takes away from what God is doing. I mean, we want to be a family that responds with our mind, our heart, and bodies as he informs us with his gospel and transforms us by his spirit. That man, we are worshiping, we are a worshiping and responding church. Now here's, here's the key. People respond Differently. I cannot get upset because you don't respond like me. We all respond to God differently, but I have a question. How will we all respond when we see God in heaven? I'm just trying to figure out something. That if you get a chance to see God in heaven, what will you do? What, what, if you get a chance to see the, your Savior who is sitting at the right hand of God and you see him face to face, what will be your expression? How will you respond to that, to him? How will he move your heart to move your mind to, I know, move your hands? And y'all, we get a chance every Sunday man, in faith Together to worship God. And that's why most times when I'm, when I'm worshiping, I close my eyes and I try to picture singing this song or praying this prayer and I'm right before God. We get an idea of, of how this looks somewhat in Luke. Luke, I mentioned to you, his main concern is 
it's, so he's, he's, Luke, a Gentile writer, is, has devoted the book of Luke to a Gentile uh, 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 person. Luke's gospel aim is to, is to share with this Gentile Man, how Christ came not just for the Jews, not just for those in power, but those who are Gentiles and those who are underprivileged. As a matter of fact, in today's text, in Luke chapter 7, he's the only one that mentions the scene. Because look, he's, because women at the time were seen as little to nothing. And yet Luke captures a woman. You see this narrative in no other gospel. Because Luke said, hey, 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 hey. Jesus also cares and loves women, unlike the men and culture of the times. And so Luke takes a third of this chapter and lets you into the hospitality of Jesus. We're going to see three things. We're going to see, we're going to move through the, the, the scene of two sinners, the story of a Savior, and how the Savior saves a sinner. Look at verse 36 of Luke 7. I've got to It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went out into the Pharisee's house and, and reclined at the table. And behold, that, that means, hey, hey, man, pay attention. Something serious is about to go down. Behold, pay attention. It's in, it's, 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 it's in the front of the verse to emphasize what's about to happen for the rest of this chapter. He says, a woman of the city. Most say that she's a prostitute. Nobody knows. She's just a woman in the city who's known as a sinner. But let's just imagine she is a prostitute. Just, let's just say that she is. The text doesn't say, but let's say that she is. And when she, the prostitute, learned that he was reclining at the table in, in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ornament, and standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her, with, with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kiss his feet and anointed them with the ornament. I said, the, I said, let's look at the two sinners. Because in this portion of scripture, you see one who is irreligious and one who is religious. They're both sinners. The Pharisee and the woman known in the streets as a city, I mean, as a sinner. You have the, the woman who is irreligious. She, she's doing whatever she want to do. You have the religious sinner who is obeying God to be accepted by God. Now, Christ in the middle, he's going to actually represent the Christian. So you have the irreligious doing whatever that she wants to. You have the religious who's, who's, who's doing, uh, 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 who's, who's trying to obey, to, to be accepted. But then you have the one who is a Christian, who is 
accepted, so, he, so, so then he obeys. You have the religious who was motivated by fear. You have the irreligious who was motivated by pride. You have the Christian who was motivated by grace and love. You have the religious who, is, who saves himself. You have the irreligious who saves herself. You have the Christian who Christ himself saves. You have the religious who is a slave to sin. You have the irreligious who's a slave to sin. You have the Christian who's a slave to righteousness. And they're both in the text. Two sinners. Let's check out the sinner from verses 37, who is a woman. It says here that behold a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that she was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of almond. Now, there's one, there are several commentaries that say it's critical to read Matthew, I mean Luke chapter 7 along the line of Matthew chapter 11. Because it, they said that, that around this time, Christ had already gave the great invitation. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give, who are heavy laden and wearied, and I will give you rest. One commentator says that it was when Christ proclaimed this great invitation that the woman who was a sinner heard it. And from that point on, began to search for Jesus. The Bible says, and she learned, which meant she was inquiring, where is the man that said, come unto me? All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So the woman goes on a mad search hunt for Jesus. Trying to find me, where is this man that gave this great invitation? And behold, he's in a Pharisee house. And at this time, the custom was the big shots of the city uh, would come to, a, to the Pharisee's house. They would sit at the table and they would talk about the news of the day. And it was customary here for, for strangers to come, but they couldn't sit at the table. They only could stand at the wall and listen to these elitists talk about the news and what was happening in that day. Now, while they sitting there talking, Simon had, 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 had already invited Jesus. So it was customary, again, for strangers to come in and to see what was going on. So listen, then you had this woman who everybody knew was a sinner in the streets comes in the house and she stands behind Jesus because the man who gave the great invitation is at the table. The Bible says that she stands behind him 
weeping. Now, this, is not, this isn't no ordinary weeping. The literal translation is that she stood behind him wailing. 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 They're talking about the business of the day, the elitists, the rabbis. And this sinner has the audacity to come behind Jesus and start to wail. Can you see what everybody else, everybody in the room knows what kind of lifestyle she's, she's been living. So it says that she was, that, that she's weeping and then, and then she, she, she brought out her, she brought with her, her alabaster, alabaster uh, ornament, which simply represents her life's income. She comes to the man that gives, that, that gave the great invitation. She has this, this around her. And then look what she starts doing. In verse 38, standing behind his feet weeping, she began to wet. She's emotional. She wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the arm. Now, two things happened here. At this time, if a woman was to undo her hair, that was against customs. She was liable to be divorced. Simply by undoing her hair and then to, 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 to wipe the feet of a rabbi, it was not customary. She's doing everything that culture and custom says not to do. But she doesn't care because she remembers the great invitation. Come unto me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Man, there comes a point in our life and sin that, man, we shouldn't care about what anybody else thinks. The man who can heal, the, the man who can save, he's at the table. And I'm not letting him get by this time. I've learned... And now I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping the idea that, 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 that she's wiping and kissing his feet. Talks about, means worship. Now look at the, now look at the religious sinner, Simon. He's sitting there, the host. is sitting there saying, man, if Jesus only knew what kind of woman she was. If he only knew for today, she's a prostitute. So you got this sinner washing the feet of a sinless savior. And the shouldn't Jesus, who's a prophet, shouldn't his, shouldn't his God inform him of what kind of woman this is so that he would not let her do what he's doing? Jesus does not stop him. Uh, does not stop her. He allows her to cry, <laughs> to weep, <laughs> to take her hair down against customs, knowing that she is liable of divorce, and he doesn't stop her. And this religious guy who knows the Bible back and forth can quote you from Genesis up to Deuteronomy has a problem with how God is allowing him, her to worship him. 
but she's a sinner, literally devoted to sin. But we're seeing her devotion change to a savior. Jesus knows, knows what's going on. Sinner two, 39. And when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to, him, to himself, as if God can't read minds, to himself, did say aloud to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who, who and what sort of woman this, uh, uh, this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. The way that Jesus allows her actions to worship him, he doubts two things, that he is a prophet and he doubts his mission. I love how Mark says it in the NLT uh, verses 2, 14. It says, he, Christ, came not for those who think they are righteous, but for those who know they are sinners. He didn't come for the Bible thumpers, unable to recognize Jesus. He came for the ones who knew that they were sinners. Omni. God in his grace is going to bring people in from every walk of life, every condition. And I pray he brings, he brings some prostitutes. I pray that he brings those who are struggling with same-sex attraction. I pray he brings those who are homeless. I pray that he brings those who are struggling with fornication and adultery. I, I pray that God will bring and hear whom he came to save, and that's sinners. And my question is, how will we treat, how will we show them hospitality? Will we respond like Simon or will we respond like Jesus? How will we respond when the one who came to save those who know they're sinners come into our homes? How will we omni respond? Prayerfully not like the Pharisee and hopefully like Jesus. So Jesus sees how he responds. So he, 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 he says to himself, this is, she's a sinner. When he should have said of himself, I'm a sinner. So Christ has a story to tell, tell Simon. Simon, verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Kind of remind me of my old Baptist church when, when actually the, the preacher was going hard. We'll say, say preacher. And here it is, here, here it is, here it is. Simon, he tells Christ, say it, say it, Rabbi. A certain moneylender had two debtors and one owned 500 denarii and the other 50, 50. And when they could not pay, he counseled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he counseled the larger debt. And he, and he said to him, you have judged rightly. One owes ten times as much as the other. 
but they both still owe a debt they can't pay. So it's not that either or they, no, was out of debt. No, they, they both were debtors who couldn't pay the debt they, they owed the money. And that's the point that he's getting at. But there's one who is keenly aware of her sin, while the other one is not. And Jesus says, this debtor, who in this parable is Jesus, he's counseled the debt. When it comes to worship, there's a source that is Jesus, and there is the substance that is forgiveness. Watch this now. Don't, 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 don't miss this. There are some who come in here knowing the past. There are some who come in here knowing how jacked up they was before they met Jesus. And they messed around and heard Jesus say that concerning sin, that the debt is paid in full. That here is the gospel. That God the Father sent God his son to pay in full the debt you owe, not him. Now, for many of us, are you telling me that if that, that, that all my sins, I know that, I, that, 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 that caused me to be in debt to God, Christ himself has paid for it. He's counseled the debt. God is saying yes. Every sin that you committed up to this point is done away with that by enough. That by itself should be enough for many of us to worship God. And then here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Your sins have been forgiven. And now your father who is up there, when you sin down here because of Jesus, he says, that's still painful. Debt's the payment for that, that, that you never accrue debt and it's a kept because Christ has paid it in full forever. I don't care how much you sin, God says, because of Christ who paid the debt in full, you'll never owe me again. That's good news. Is that not good news enough to worship God? That when you see God, he never say, you owe me? You owe me. No, 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 no. Christ, he, he canceled, he removed, he released me from the debt that I owe Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I know of the sins I did before I met Christ. And I know of the sins I still commit today. And God never sees anything in my account. It's always empty. In Jesus. That alone is enough substance to make you worship. But that's not it. I'm not done. Look at the sin. Look at the sin. Look at the sin of the Savior. Look, look, look at the saving of, of the sin. Yeah. Verse 44. 
the turning then, Christ turning toward the woman, he said to, to, to Simon. Now, he's in Simon's house. <laughs> he's looking at the woman, but he's addressing Simon. Because the one who's called his attention is the one he's now focused on. But he's addressing Simon. Simon? Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved, she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, (laughs) loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Perfect, passive, indicative. Perfect, passive, indicative. Perfect, a one-time act that you still benefit from today. Passive. You had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Indicative. A statement of fact. Woman, I forgive you. Look what he's saying that what I declare unto you today will last forever. Woman, you had nothing to do with me forgiving you. I chose through my son. It, It wasn't nothing you did or done. Simply my choosing in love to forgive you once and for all. Indicative. It's a fact that would never go untrue. Your sins are forgiven. When they talk about sins being forgiven, there's two elements of this. There is the act of sin and there is the affection of sin. The act of sin and the, and the emotion that comes from sin called guilt. Christ is sin. Y'all listen to this. Because of what God did for us in Jesus. He says, every act that you commit towards me is forgiven. But also the guilt that holds you down, the shame that comes with the sin is also forgiven. (laughs) What? Why? Why? Why do you forgive the act and the affection so you can worship me? It's hard to worship a holy God feeling guilty. It's hard to worship a holy God carrying shame. 
And he says, I've sent my son not only to deal with the acts of your sin, but the affections, the emotions that come with your sin, it's gone. <laughs> so when you sin against me, past, present, indicative, I said it's done, it's a statement of truth, and it's done forever. Christ became our guilt offering. So we wouldn't carry guilt. Imagine the freedom in God we have that though we sin and often we do sin, he says, not guilty and the guilt from the sin, don't. Worship. Worship. Nothing else. You have to do nothing else. Because that's the substance of worship. Forgiven. Canceled. Forever. If that don't stir your affection, what will? The weight of that should cause you to raise your hand. <laughs> I'm just saying, the weight of that truth should cause you to stand up. It should cause you to do something. When you realize that, I don't need no band to make me worship. Need no music person to make me worship. No preacher. Just the truth. <laughs> Just God, will you will you enlighten my eyes to the truth of the gospel? Are you telling me that I'm forgiven if I throw myself on the mercy and grace of Jesus? Are you telling me I never again have to worry about what I owe you when I see you? The only thing he's going to see in your account when you see him is the righteousness of Christ, full of it. Full to the brim, overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. Not yours, his, and that's good. And his righteousness never loses ground. We got the source of worship. The source of worship is Jesus. The substance in this text is simply forgiveness of sins, done with, dealt with, forgiven. And the guilt that comes with it. No more. Why? Why do you do this, God? Why do you do this? So that you can worship me. Because you have been forgiven, you are freed to worship. And however I let the truth of God land on your heart and inform your mind, there should be some humble response. So Omni, worship is not based off of style. It's not based off of skin or culture. Though we will take those things into consideration, but those things are secondary and tertiary. 
the source and the substance of our, of our worship is Jesus. And as long as we do a great job of exalting him, making much of him, we all can get some. We all can worship. So Father God, we thank you. We love you. free to worship I don't care who's looking at me but your greatness and your grace and your truth it has captivated my heart in such a way I have no choice but to respond humbly having my mind affects having my having the affections of my mind and heart stirred by your goodness for me in Jesus us to worship. This is impossible to do if you don't know God. If you have not experienced the forgiveness of sins in Christ, it's hard to experience this, 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 this attitude, this lifestyle of worship. So, man, if you have not taken Christ, take him, receive the person and finished work of him. Now let him let him change your mind now that you can worship even as we take now communion that is a part of worship and we do it every week because every week we say we need Jesus we need Jesus we need to feast on the finished work of Christ and enjoy his body and enjoy his blood that has set us free. So I'm going to now ask you to pray. But while you're praying, thank God for his forgiveness of the act and the affection of the guilt in feeling guilty. You don't have to feast off him in with guilt. You can come down. <laughs> Freedom to receive the body and to drink his blood and worship. So as the Spirit of God lead you to come down, Please, come. Come with this longing and the conviction of your heart. That in this, he's going to nourish your faith, deepen your worship. Nothing shows the worth and preciousness of Christ so much as when we come to him feed on him trusting that he would satisfy our thirsty and hungry souls